the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Well, listen, even those who are spiritual face a great danger in doing this, in seeking to restore a fallen believer. Paul warns us about this danger at the close of verse 1. Each one, he writes, looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Paul cautions us that those who confront others about their sin need to be very diligent that we don't fall into sin ourselves by succumbing to temptation. Sometimes when we read that verse in Galatians chapter 6, we might think that Paul is concerned about our falling into the same sin that overtook the person we're trying to help. But he's actually concerned that we don't slip into another very specific sin, a sin that can be quite sneaky anytime we're in a situation where someone has had a failure and we're in a position to help. Pastor Steve Kreloff will tell us about that today on Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We just started to air a new series by Pastor Steve taken from Galatians chapter 6. It's about the practical results of true spirituality. Among other things, the people in the Galatian churches had a tendency to think of spirituality as something that was for their own enjoyment, rather than for God to use in helping others. And that can lead to pride and arrogance. Let's take a look now at why we need to be careful in our attitudes as we help other believers. Here's Pastor Steve. Now, in light of the fact that true spirituality results in helping others, Paul opens chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, by giving us several practical ways that spiritual people serve others, with the first way being this, that spiritual people serve others by restoring those who fall into sin. Let's get into our text and see what Scripture teaches. Galatians 6, 1, brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Now, Paul begins this section by presenting a scenario in which any one of us can discover someone, presumably a fellow Christian, who has been caught in a trespass. Now, this expression, caught in any trespass, could mean one of two things. The actual Greek word for caught means surprised or overtaken or overpowered. So Paul could be saying that this person was caught in a trespass in the sense that he was overtaken by some sin because it wasn't something that he he planned to do. He didn't deliberately plan to commit this sin. It just sort of snuck up on him and surprised him and overpowered him as he let down his guard and gave in to temptation. However, The phrase caught in any trespass could also mean that this person was literally caught in the act of sinning by someone. Someone caught him. In other words, he sinned and he was caught, as we say, red-handed. 
Now, the Greek language actually allows for either of these interpretations, but it really doesn't matter which one Paul specifically had in mind, because regardless of the situation, uh, the case of a sinning Christian is to be handled exactly the same way by someone who's spiritual. It doesn't matter if he was surprised by a sin or he was caught sinning. We're to handle it the same way. Paul says, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Now, notice that Paul gives this command not just to anybody in the church, but to those who are spiritual, meaning those in the church who are walking in the spirit. That's just what he's been talking about. And you know that they are because they're demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in their daily lives. He says that spiritual people are to restore the one caught in a trespass. They are to do this also in the Spirit, in a spirit of gentleness. Now, let's consider what Paul is commanding us to do and the implications of this command. First of all, it's important to note what Paul is not saying, what he doesn't mean, what he's not talking about here. He does not say that if we discover sin in another believer's life, that we are to ignore it, that we are to overlook it. But that's precisely what many Christians do. They just choose to not say anything about the other person's sin because they feel awkward about it. They feel uncomfortable in approaching someone and speaking about their sin. And so often they reason this way and they wrongly reason this way. It's really none of my business. After all, who am I to tell someone about their sin when I have so many faults of my own? And likewise, folks, there are many churches and pastors who do the same thing. They just don't deal with a church member's sin, even though they are aware of it. They would rather let that person continue in their sin than confront them. But when you ignore, or a church ignores, a fellow believer's sin, it shows what you really think of that person. And what you think of that person is you really don't love them. You really don't care about them. You don't, really don't have their best interests at heart because love wants the best for someone. That, that's how Paul defined love in 1 Corinthians 13. Love wants the best for someone and letting them continue in sin without speaking to them is the worst thing that they can do. Sin is the worst thing in a person's life. Secondly, Paul does not say that we are to go to the other extreme. The, instead of ignoring someone's sin, we are harsh and scolding and criticizing of someone who has been caught in a trespass, coming down hard on them with angry words because how dare they violate God's righteous standards. Listen, that attitude was the very self-righteous, hypocritical attitude that the Pharisees had. They were so hard, so judgmental, so critical of everyone else's sin but their own. Self-righteous. Jesus condemned them for it. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7. This is a misunderstood passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 7. Starting at verse 1, Jesus said, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Now, he was not saying don't approach people about their sin. What he was saying is don't be like the Pharisees who are judgmental and self-righteous and never deal with their own sin. They are self-appointed critics of everybody else. And they'll be happy to tell you what's wrong with you. And that's exactly what he meant. Because notice, you go down to verse 3. Why do you look at the speck 
that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye. This is a hyperbole, which is an obvious exaggeration to make a point. He's saying, why would you come up to somebody and they have maybe a little splinter in their eye, but you've got a telephone pole sticking out of your eye. You've got a whole tree trunk and you don't see it, but you're very concerned to tell others about their little sin. When you've got a major sin that you're not even dealing with. He went on to say, verse 4, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, you actor, you phony. First, take the log out of your own eye If you're so concerned about sin, deal with your own sin first. And then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Listen, the Pharisees had no concern for the well-being of others. They were just critical, condemning people who loved to denounce everybody else's sin because it made them feel so good about themselves. In fact, they were blind to their own sins. They never saw their own sins That's why Jesus said, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's. In other words, he's saying, if you were really spiritual, and you're not, but if you were really spiritual, you would confess your own sin first, and then you'd be qualified to address the sins of others. Once again, it comes back to spirituality. You who are spiritual, do this. Listen, many churches are filled with self-righteous, pharisaical-type individuals who love to only condemn and gossip and criticize others for their sins, but they fail to see and address their own sin. I recently read about a pastor who had these stunning words to say about his fear of falling into sin and having some, some of his church members deal with him. He said, and I quote, I have often thought that if I ever fell into a trespass, I will pray that I don't fall into the hands of those censorious critical judges in the church. Let me fall into the hands of barkeepers, streetwalkers, or dope peddlers because such church people would tear me apart with their long, wagging, gossipy tongues cutting me to shreds. So listen, we know what Paul is not saying here. We know what he doesn't tell us where to do. We are, if we discover a fellow Christian who's fallen into sin, we are not to ignore his sin nor are we to harshly condemn him. But rather, here's what we are to do. Paul says we are to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Now, this is vitally important, so we need to understand what does Paul mean by restore? That's the key to understanding this command. Well, the Greek word that is translated, restore, it means to correct. It means to straighten out. It means to repair to bring it back to its original use. This particular word was used in secular Greek literature. It was a medical term used that way, speaking about a a fractured bone that had been reset so that it could be returned to its original use and function. In the New Testament, this is the word used of the fishermen mending their nets, bringing their nets back to repairing it so it could be functional again. So, When Paul says, restore a fallen brother or sister, he simply means that we are to help this Christian who's been caught in a sin to get straightened out and to return to fellowship with the Lord and fellowship with his people and usefulness in the body of Christ. And the only way to do this, Paul says, is by going to this brother or sister and telling them that they are in sin 
and urging them to turn from their sin and to repent and, and to seek God's forgiveness. Now, this actual step-by-step process of, of helping to restore a fallen brother, it's spelled out for us in Matthew chapter 18. You don't need to turn there. But Matthew 18 is this great teaching that Jesus gave on what to do if you see your brother in sin. And there's a step-by-step approach that, that we are to follow. And if that fallen brother or sister in Christ does not repent, then Jesus said it should end up being a public church discipline issue. Before the whole church, you expose them and publicly call them to repentance and publicly announce to the church so that they can call this person to repentance. But listen, that's Matthew 18. Paul here in Galatians 6 is is not dealing with the step-by-step process of restoration. What he is dealing with is the attitude of the person who confronts his fallen brother about his sin. Paul says that those who are spiritual in the church are to speak to their brother or sister in Christ about turning from their sin with an attitude of gentleness. That's what the apostle says. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, which means do it in a kind and gracious and loving manner, not in harsh tones or in a hard way. Listen, the whole purpose of speaking to a fellow Christian about their sin is to restore them, not, not embarrass them, not humiliate them. That's why great gentleness is needed, not severity, not sternness, not scolding. We're not trying to destroy anyone. We're not trying to do that. Our goal is to restore them by setting them back on the right path. And listen, people are just more naturally responsive to restoration when they're dealt with kindly and, and gently rather than harshly. No one, no one wants anyone to be harsh with them. We need to be careful that we don't misunderstand. Paul is not saying that in our gentleness we're to be weak. We're to be wishy-washy. We're not to, to have the high standards of Scripture. We're to be so flexible and bending that we don't really stand for God's truth. That's not what he's saying at all. He's telling us to be firm and uncompromising in going to a fallen brother and confronting them, but do it in love. Do it because you care about them and be kind. Approaching a fallen Christian in gentleness means that, that you do it because you're concerned for them rather than you're doing it out of anger, out of impatience, intolerance. Maybe they've messed up your life, and you're going to let them have it. No, don't. Otherwise, listen, no one's going to listen to you. No one listens to people who lash out in anger and are harsh and judgmental in their criticisms. Consider once again how hard and uncaring the Pharisees were in dealing with fallen sinners. Let's look at John chapter 8. Because in John chapter 8, we read this story about the scribes and the Pharisees who brought to Jesus a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery. And you know what? They wanted a stoner to death. That was their heart. But it was all, they didn't even care about her. They'd rather give her life because they wanted to test Jesus. They didn't care about her. We read this starting in verse 3 of John chapter 8. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, in the law of Moses, 
And in the law, rather, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? Now, John adds in verse 6, they were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. Have you ever wondered what he wrote? Nobody knows for sure, but may I suggest to you that it may very well have been the sins of these men and what they were guilty of but weren't willing to admit. Well, whatever. We read in verse 7, but when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, from now on, sin no more. Meaning, repent of this sin. When saying be perfect, he was talking about the issue of, of adultery. Stop doing this. Now, according to the law of Moses, the Pharisees had every right, really, to, to stone her to death. But those self-righteous, proud, arrogant men, they had no love for this woman, no concern for her. And I might add, they had no love for the law either. They had no love for the Lord. No interest in restoring this fallen daughter of Abraham. No concern for what was best for her. They just wanted to test Jesus to see if he would authorize this stoning in compliance with the law. But listen, unlike them, Jesus did care about her. And, and you talk about sin and the holiness of God. This is holy God standing right there. If anybody should have been yelling at her, you think, and, and down on her, it would have been Jesus. But how gentle he was with her. He did care about her. He, he did want her to get back on track with God. So he gently told her that she just needed to repent of this. Go and don't do this anymore. Listen, if you find yourself being harsh, mean-spirited in dealing with professing believers who have fallen into sin, it indicates that you're not spiritual. That's what it indicates, that you're not walking in the Spirit because spiritual people exhibit great gentleness, sensitivity in helping to restore those in sin. They lovingly confront others in their sin, and they do it kindly so that people know that you care about them and you have their best interest at heart. It's not about you, it's about them. It was Martin Luther, the German reformer, who offered these words of wisdom to a pastor about how to restore a fallen brother. He said, run unto him. And reaching out your hand, raise him up again, comfort him with sweet words, and embrace him with motherly arms. So, I ask you, do you do this? Will you do this? Will you speak to fallen believers with sweet words, embracing them as a mother or father would embrace a prodigal child? This is what those who are commanded, who are spiritual rather, are commanded to do. Here's something to keep in mind, something important, because some of us may think, you know what, this is for the leaders of the church. This is for people who have been saved a long time. I'm just new in the faith. I'm just learning what the gospel really is. I'm just a new Christian. It's very easy to excuse this and say, well, this is for other people, not me. That's not true. Paul's words about restoring a fallen Christian 
are pertinent to every one of us, regardless of how old or young you are in the Lord. You see, since God desires every Christian to be spiritual, and we know that's the case because that's what Paul said in Galatians 5.16, walk in the spirit. You'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Therefore, since all are to be spiritual, then all of us, in theory, if we are obedient to this, we are to be involved in the work of restoring a fallen brother. All of us. It is critical that we keep in mind there is a distinction between spirituality and spiritual maturity. Some people don't make this distinction, and they miss something that's important. Here's how John MacArthur explained the difference between the two, between spirituality and spiritual maturity. He wrote this, Whereas maturity is relative, depending on one's progression and growth, spirituality is an absolute reality that is unrelated to growth. At any point... In the life of a Christian, from the moment of his salvation to his glorification, he is either spiritual, walking in the spirit, or fleshly, walking in the deeds of the flesh. Maturity is the cumulative effect of the times of spirituality. But any believer, at any point in his growth towards Christ-likeness, can be a spiritual believer who helps a sinful believer who has fallen to the flesh. That's really important. That's important to understand this is for us, not just for your elders and deacons and staff. It's for all of us. So according to Paul, we should all be spiritual men and women, and therefore we should all be active in this important work of confronting other believers about their sin. But listen, even those who are spiritual face a great danger in doing this, in seeking to restore a fallen believer. Paul warns us about this danger at the close of verse 1. Each one, he writes, looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Paul cautions us that those who confront others about their sin need to be very diligent that we don't fall into sin ourselves by succumbing to temptation. Now listen closely. While we are always to be careful about engaging in any sin, any sin, it would appear that Paul is not warning us here about the danger of falling into sin in general, but that he has something specific in mind. And that particular sin that he has in mind is the sin of spiritual pride, arrogance, thinking we're better than the person that we're dealing with, that we're trying to restore. The reason this appears to be the case is context, because And also just reason and logic here. Because those who correct others about their sinful behavior are always tempted to be somewhat self-righteous. Always You can't help but be tempted to feel somewhat self-righteous, feeling pretty good about yourself because you're not guilty of the same sin that this person you're dealing with is. Beware of spiritual pride as you address someone else's sin. Don't think that you are any better than that person that you're trying to help restore to fellowship. The only reason that you have not fallen into the same sin or something even worse than this is because God's grace in your life has sustained you. It's not because you're morally superior. Not at all. We are what we are, as Paul said, by the grace of God. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before stumbling. We need to keep that in mind at all times. 
not just when someone else has a sin problem. Otherwise, before we know it, we'll be the ones struggling spiritually. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class led by pastor teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel. If you're in or near Clearwater, Florida, and looking for a Bible teaching church, I know you'll find good teaching and a warm atmosphere at Lakeside. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. Visit lakesidechapel.com for more information or call the office at 727-441-1714. Today is just the second day in this new series of lessons about the practical results of true spirituality. If you want to go back and catch the opening program, you can do so on the message archive page at our website, versebyverseradio.org. We also have a giving page if the Lord's been blessing you through these broadcasts. We're thankful for the generous listeners who help provide the funds necessary to stay on the air. That's at versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. One often heard line in the animated film Robots came from a robot named Big Weld. His motto was, see a need, fill a need. That should be our motto in the church. The second verse in the text we're studying tells us to bear one another's burdens. And as we'll see on the next verse by verse, we should be ready to step in and help with physical, financial, and other burdens whenever there's a need. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse by Faith Talk 570. W. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.